Hello. If you don't have one of these, you're going to need one of these. How many of you got to talk with Isabella? 20%. How many of you know who Isabella is? 80%. How many of you know who Sylvia is? 85%. How many of you want to go live with, with, with Sylvia next week? 27% want to get in the pool. All right. All right. If you have a venture, my daughter will tell me what page we're starting on. 13. Look at how many more daughters I have now than I had before. It's amazing. The blessing after meals. Ryan, you good there, bud? I'm getting there. Okay. All right, so a couple of announcements. Uh, as, uh, as our chazen, Greg Upham, said this morning during our Torah service, the month of Elul is an amazing month. It really is. It kicks off this Wednesday, the fourth day of the week, the... 40 days of repentance, 30 days of which are, are fully the month of Elul. And I got to tell you, there's really no better way to make it clear to your neighbors that you are deep in the Torah when they hear your shofar blow at 6, 6.30 in the morning. It doesn't have to be a 6. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be that early, but if that's when you're normally doing your prayers, you know then uh, it really is an amazing thing. This, uh, this month is going to kick off a, uh, a wonderful time of repentance for our community. Uh, as we see towards, uh, towards the beginning of this month, a wedding between the uh, two lovebirds on the couch there. Well, another lovebird leaving. It's a nest. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't met the second pretty girl on that couch, that's my soon-to-be daughter-in-law, Laura, and uh, that'll be on the second day of Hanukkah. So, uh, isn't Tuesday night the beginning of the second night of Hanukkah? It's actually the first night of Hanukkah. If it's Hanukkah and you missed the wedding, you missed the wedding. That's right. That's eight days, man. That's right. All right. Um, for those of you, for those of you who hear the sound of my phone uh, while we're going through the uh, portion discussion with Joshua in a little bit. Um, for those of you who are here this morning, I have the, what is it, Code Alert? Red Alert? Red Alert app on my phone. You don't have to reach for your phone. It is my phone that's making the noise to let you know. The rockets are coming from the terrorist, Islamic fundamentalist terrorists of Hamas in Gaza onto the peaceful people of Israel. And it's happening during Shabbat. What I'm hoping you'll realize if you don't already have the app is how devastating it would be for your family if you heard that alarm and had to scurry to some bomb shelter 
in the midst of your prayers, in the midst of your Sabbath, in the midst of your day. It's amazing. And you're not going to hear about it in the uh, liberal media today here in America. Maybe may different in Brazil, we don't know, but uh, there you go. Hand. Memo. Yeah, Memo. If you follow the news, there has now been a death from a rocket. The first rocket yes, death yes. after thousands of rockets. Uh, four-year-old boy, I understand. And it hit a synagogue before. And it hit a synagogue. So um, if there's a time for you to support Israel, to me, now would be the time as they step up. Joseph. Sir. One more announcement. And, yes. And I, I'm doing this to separate it from Joshua's discussion. I just want to say publicly, even though he's my son, yes. what a great job he has done. Amen. Amen. And not because he's my son-in-law, but he's the first man that's come up to me and said, I'd really like to uh, give you a break on that portion discussion thing. And he's the first man that I thought could actually do it. And I think he's doing a great job as well. Outstanding. Outstanding. Just take a breather. you got a little bit more time for us. Yeah. Okay. Who can tell me about the blessing after meals from a biblical perspective? Who wants to give it a shot, Pete? But isn't, uh, didn't Jesus teach us that we should bless God before we eat? He didn't teach us that. He didn't. He definitely did that. He did that. <laughs> so it was his habit. Do you think he did it after? He had to. Um, Peter, why would he have to do it after he ate? Because, because he was perfect according to the law. And there it is. So if the Torah teaches us that this is what we should do, we know for a fact, whether it's recorded or not, Yeshua had to do this. He had to participate. And we will now, in obedience to the scripture, do the birkat hamazon, the blessings after meals. Now I'm looking for a robust man. Never pull on that while it's there. I just broke your side. No, no, no. It, it, it comes on and off. It just clips on. Not a problem. It's supposed to do that. Maybe the AC. It's really hot. It's very warm. It's very warm. Especially by the window. That's why I was trying to lower it. That's okay. Okay. That's Southern Baptist Church. Southern Baptist Southern Baptist well, there are two crunches. Yeah, I'm all alone. Well, glory. For those of you watching in Gastonia, they're always like this. It's really nothing we can do. According to my nest, it will take two hours to bring us down to 70 degrees. But I have had it set for that for quite some time. So you, we may on the way on the way to you back, you back, bro. Baptist may want to move up or move into the cool area where the cool people are. Uh, there they are. All right, but thank you for sharing that, and I uh, wish there was more I could do. It is blowing, and uh, Gregory will make this run a little bit faster here in a second. Gregory, make some magic happen here. All right. Uh, let's see. I need. Uh, I need a. Now, when you pull, when you pull, it goes down. So, now, one more, and we're on Everybody, ready? Go. Lift off. Okay. 
I had the privilege uh, last night of being with the the Foster family as they uh, hosted a uh, rehearsal dinner for the Foster Upham wedding coming up a week from the morrow. And I got to tell you, it was very cool. So in light of the uh, pending nuptials, is that okay to say, Scott? Nuptials? It sounds seedy. It does. I I hate it when I sound churchy. I did. I did make mention last night that Brock. Uh, Brock. No, no, it's often confusing. Yeah. Rockets are hitting Israel now from Gaza, from the Hamas. What are they? Terrorists. Thank you very much. That too. And quite frankly, if you read the scriptures, I was shocked nearly 10 years ago when I heard of a believer in Messiah Yeshua got his head chopped off in the Middle East. I can't believe that that actually happened some 2,000 years after we became civilized. I thought that part of the Word of God which talked about that was completely passe. But he got his head chopped off. Over the past two weeks, we've actually had people sawn in two by these barbarians, and that too is in the Word of God. Read the book of Hebrews as we see Scripture coming to light in our own lives. Colby, one of the few men that has a voice deeper than mine. <laughs> Can I ask you to do the compassionate one as we get to it? Oh, yeah. I'll try and cue you as many times as I can. Try. Yes, sir. Well, we're supposed to say our name after each of the compassion lines. Are we real? Yeah. What? Did you, everybody hear that? My son is the one who taught me that after each one of the benedictions during the Adah, we say Amen. Oops. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Only one person does the whole line. So that probably wouldn't apply here. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Delay that. Sylvia, it's always like this every week. Yeah. If you're on page 13 with me in the top right corner, you've got a, a corner by itself together. A song of ascent, when Adonai will return the captivity of Zion, we'll be like dreamers. Then our mouth will be filled with laughter and our tongue with glad song. Then they will declare among the nations, Adonai has done greatly with these. Adonai has done greatly with us. We were glad. O Adonai, return our captivity like springs in the desert. Those who cheerfully sow will reap in glad song. He who bears the measure of seeds walks along weeping, though will return in exaltation. Now, if you're part of the church, you're humming to yourself, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. But of course, if you went to Sunday school, you have no idea what sheaves are. So, on the next paragraph, together with me, may my mouth declare the praise of Adonai, and may all flesh bless his holy name forever. We will bless God from this time and forever. Hallelujah! Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. Who can express the mighty acts of Adonai? Who can declare all his praise? Behold, I am prepared and ready to perform the positive commandment of Birkat Hamazon. 
For it is said, And you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land which he gave you. And of course, we're talking about the scripture that Peter just quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. Not but 10, thank you. Not but two um, para portions, parashiot, prior to this. Savrim Arnan Varabanan. Blessed be the name of That was good. That was a little weak, but it was good. You were right on top there, but I like it. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. Together, with the permission of the distinguished people present, let us bless God of whose we have eaten. Blessed is our God of he of whose we have eaten through his goodness. Blessed is our God, he of whose we have eaten and through whose goodness we live. Together? Blessed is he and blessed is his name. Everyone, blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who nourishes the entire world in his goodness, with grace, with kindness, and with mercy. He gives nourishment to all flesh, for his kindness is eternal. And through his great goodness we have never lacked, and may we never lack nourishment for all eternity. For the sake of his great name, because he is God, who nourishes and sustains all, and benefits all, and he prepares food for all of his creatures that he has created. As it is said, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed are you, Adonai, who nourishes all. That was great. We thank you, Adonai, our God, together with me, because you have given to our forefathers as a heritage a desirable, good, spacious land, because you removed us, Adonai, our God, from the land of Egypt, and you removed us from the house of Jerusalem, for your covenant that you sealed in our flesh, for your Torah that you taught us, for your statutes that you made known to us, for life, grace, and loving kindness that you granted to us, and for the provision of food for which you nourish and sustain us constantly, in every day, in every season, and in every hour. Flip the page. Take a breath. Are you with us? You're not long? Good? Is this page 15 now? It is 17. It's got to go the other way now. Come on now. It's a Hebrew book. Right? You ready? You there with us? For all, Adonai are God? You there? 17? Yeah? Good, top, of the top of the page, top left, top left. Yeah. There she is, okay. Together with me. For all that I our God, we thank you and bless you. May your name be blessed by the mouth of all the living continuously for all eternity. As it is written, and you shall eat and you shall be satisfied and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land that he gave you. Blessed are you, Adonai, for the land and for the nourishment. That's great, amen. Together. Have mercy, we beg you, Adonai, our God, on Israel, your people, on Jerusalem, your city, on Zion, the resting place of your glory, on the monarchy of the house of David, your anointed, and on the great and holy house upon which your name is called. Our God, our Father, tend us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, relieve us. Adonai, our God, grant us speedy relief from all our troubles. Please make us not needful, Adonai, our God, of the gifts of human hands, nor of their loans but only of your hand that is full, open, holy, and generous, that we may not feel inner shame nor be humiliated forever and ever. Please note, the resting place of his glory is the place where he chose to put his name, which we heard about so many times in this portion. Joshua, I'm sure, is going to make clear that in this portion, we really don't at that time know where he was choosing or would choose to put his name. But we definitely know now that that place is Jerusalem. Secondly, 
making us needful of others' loans is also spoken of in this portion. So this is a big deal for us. First paragraph in the pink, together with me. May it please you, Adonai, our God, give us rest through your commandments and through the commandments of the seventh day, this great and holy Sabbath. For this day is great and holy before you to rest on it, to be content on it in love, as ordained by your will. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that there be no distress, grief, or lament on this day of our contentment. And show us, Adonai, our God, the consolation of Zion, your city, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the city of your holiness, for you are the master of salvation, master of consolations. There are missiles, actually, I was corrected, there are rockets unmanned and undirected falling on Jerusalem even as we speak. What is the consolation of Jerusalem? It's the coming of Messiah Yeshua. Absolutely Amen. correct. Amen. At the bottom of the page in white, together with me. Rebuild Jerusalem, the holy city, soon in our days. Blessed are you, Adonai, who rebuilds Jerusalem in his mercy. Amen. We're at the top of page 19. Top of page 19. Isabel, I'm going to look at you until I'm sure you're there. <laughs> top of page 19. There we go. In the white together. On page 21. Are we on page 21? We're on 19, right? Just check it. Thank you. Just check it. Mary, are you with us? In the white together with me, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, Holy One of Jacob, our Shepherd, the Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good and who does good for all. For every single day he did good, he does good, and he will do good for us. He was bountiful for us, he is bountiful with us, and he will forever be bountiful with us. With grace and with kindness and with mercy, with relief, salvation, success, blessing, help, consolation, sustenance, support, mercy, life, peace, and all good, and all good things may he never deprive us. Can you imagine trying to do this in a language that is not your first language? I think we should do the next paragraph in Spanish and let you all suffer while these guys just kind of hum along. Or Portuguese. Or Portuguese. Or Portuguese. She can do Spanish, too. I bet she can do Italian. Yes, Isabella can. See? See? Are you ready? This is your day. We're trying to step you up here, buddy. Bring it on. The compassionate one. May you reign over us forever. The compassionate one. May you be blessed in heaven and on earth. Sing it! May he be praised throughout all generations. May he be glorified through us forever to the ultimate ends and be honored through us forever and for all eternity. May he can say this. Hang on, hang on, hang on. The compassionate one. That's what I'm hearing, the compassionate one. He's just a Come on, sing it out like you got a pair of lungs. Let's go. <laughs> Take it in, Brad. Like a passion. Harakamon. May break the yoke of the passion from us and his direct to our land. May he send us abundant blessing to this house and upon this May he send us Elijah the prophet. He is remembered for good to proclaim to us good tidings, salvations, and consolations. 
Gregory will be to God. Not to be shamed or humiliated in this world or the world to come. May he be successful in all his dealings. May his dealings be successful and conveniently close at hand. May no evil have had a reign over his handiworks and may the semblance of sin or iniquitous thought attach itself to him from this time and forever. From your mouth to God's ears, it's the only reason I stand up to do this is to get that blessing. The compassionate one. May he bless the master of this house and the lady of this house, them, their house, their family, and all that is theirs. The compassionate one. May he bless me, my wife, my children, and all that is mine. Together? Ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were blessed in everything, from everything, and with everything. So may he bless us all together with a perfect blessing. And let us say, Amen! Turn the page. Take a deep breath. Top of page 17 with me. I'm just trying to throw Janet. Top of page 21. I was just reading off my husband's I blamed her and it was really my fault. She told me to eat that. Together with me. On high, may merit be pleaded upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May we receive a blessing from Adonai and just kindness from the God of our salvation and find favor and understanding in the eyes of God and man. The compassionate one. May he cause us to inherit the day that will be completely a Sabbath and a rest of eternal life. The compassionate one. In the life of the world to come. We're going to do that again. Make sure you put his name in there because we know his name. Isn't it? Together? Kodash. No, it's we're on the white one. Right below the pink. I thought since a wool came this week. Yeah, it's next week. So give me uh give me Harakamim again. Harakamim. May he make us worthy of the days of Messiah Yeshua in the life of the world to come. He was a tower of salvation through his king and does kindness for his anointed. To David and to his descendants forever. He who makes peace in his sights, he may make peace upon us and upon all Israel. Now respond, Amen. Take a deep breath. Together with me. Fear Adonai, you, his holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, then Adonai will be his security. I was a youth and also of age, and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken, with his children begging for bread. Adonai will give might to his people, Adonai will bless his people with peace. Amen. You're holding in your hand a book that Greg Upham recommended to my family about a year ago or so. Either that or I just stole it from him because he had it at his table. If you'll pass that book to the handsome man in the purple shirt that would be my uh, fellow grandpa mm -hmm. <laughs> I just have a question yes ma'am uh, when it's written Hashem yes. why do we say Adonai that's a Excellent great question, question. <laughs> Very good. who wants to answer that question I'll answer that question <laughs> Mr. Spurlock there are four letters in the Hebrew name of God that is underneath that text that says Hashem. The four letters are his most personal covenant name. They are the Yod, the Hey, the Bab, and the Hey, for which we have 
no pronunciation in English or in Hebrew. And for that reason, we simply say the name, which the Hebrew in English is Hashem, the name. And when we read it in a group of more than 10 men, we're permitted to actually substitute another substitute name, which is the Hebrew name for my Lord, which is Adonai. This is a form of circum, circle, locution, speaking. We speak around his name so that we can keep the fourth commandment and not take his name in vain. English Bibles do the same thing. When you see the big, the all capitals for Lord, it is actually a circumlocution for the four letters that are underneath that. Word. So we can't say the name? We can say the name. We choose not to say the name. We don't know how to say the name because if you look at the four consonants, there are no vowel markings. So the yod, the he, the bab, the he, we don't know how to pronounce it. So instead of mispronouncing his name or using his name as I would use the name Josiah, I want to elevate his name above Josiah, although Josiah is a nice guy. I want to elevate my Lord's name above that. So when I see it, I will say, that's the name. That's the name. Jesus did the same thing in the Gospels. He calls God the power on high. He calls him the mighty. He calls him the king. Father. And he calls him father. He calls him father. We never actually see in the Gospels where he names his name. Oh. So we follow his that example. And the example of all Israel by not using his name. It's also... Adonai is a more, is a somewhat more formal, formal. title. It's Lord, my Lord. So it'd be no different than if, you know, if the president of the United States walked into the Your room, Highness, you wouldn't call him. You would call president. I was trying to be facetious. I would, not, I would not walk up to him and say, "Hey, what's up, Barack?" I would. I know his name. I know how to pronounce his name. But I would not do that because. I would say I would greet him as Mr. President because I'm, I'm recognizing exactly. the position and the office of which he holds, and I'm respecting and honoring that. How much more so the master of the universe? And so, in so your country, maybe even closer, if the Pope were to come visit Brazil, yeah. right, you would address him as your eminence. What do you think he is God's emissary on earth or not? His, his holiness, right? So you would not call him whatever his. Frank. Frank. <laughs> Sam. Yes, ma'am. So I take it y'all think it would be wrong with me to call him Baraxabob? Just <laughs> Yes, ma'am. Because we are going to continue to respect the office, even though at current we may not respect the man. Does that answer your question? Yes, uh, in Portuguese, also we have the word same word, That's right, Lord, which is would substitute. She doesn't know this, yeah. but we, we have the word Senhor, and in the original Hebrew, it could be either uh, Elohim right. or Yud Hei Vav Hei. Right. Okay. And the Yud Hei Vav Hei is the one that we set out this is the special and special, distinct. Special. Exactly. But, not but there are there are some believers Sorry. that prefer there are some groups 
I've seen I, I see normally groups like this as in the internet. I Absolutely. Don't have it at home, but I noticed that some would Yahweh. would would put Yahweh or Yehovah. Right. Like in Brazil, would we would tend to say Yehovah. Yeah, Yehovah. Yehovah. Right. When we're done here, let's draw that out on a piece of paper, and I'll tell you where Yehovah came from. Okay. Yeah. Stick with it. <laughs> I already prefer Yehovah. I'm going I'm to change your mind. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. Yeah, it's good. No, it's okay. It's okay. We understand. And what's, what's the issue we're talking about now? What are we dealing with? Gentiles being adopted into a family for which there is little direction. That's the problem for Gentiles. Well, little acceptance. Some of it. Little accepted direction. Okay. So there you go. That's true. That's true. All right. So trying to defer to Greg with the uh, book that got snatched is gone. Here's another resource from First Fruits of Zion uh, that my family just got that I want to uh, recommend to you. This is the uh, Sabbath table, prayers, blessings, and songs for the Sabbath. Very nice. The blue one has English on the left and Hebrew on the right, and the brown one has English on the left and transliteration on the right. So if you've got guests that come to the Sabbath table, you can slip them the brown one and they can actually follow along and do it. Now, as you know, most of us here at Bellatora disagree with the chosen direction of First Fruits of Zion to promote the fact that there is a different standard of righteousness and halakha for Gentiles than for Jews. We don't believe that. And they've got some little paragraphs here that the Gentiles can, stay, can say instead of what the Jews would say. I don't buy into that at all. What I have enjoyed is adding those pieces on because they're pretty cool. So, you paddle your own canoe, here it is right here, and you can play with those. We talked about Alul, we talked about the wedding coming up, we talked about our guests, we talked about the new resources. Well, let's talk about the portion. We're going to talk about the portion. No, we're good? Joshua, lead us. God bless you. Thank you. You will need these more than I will. At this point, I recognize as we as you begin to move forward in life that we get closer to stages when you start needing things like that. Um, alrighty, so we are in um, Parsha Re'e, and uh, who knows what Re'e means? What is Re'e? C? C's. C's, yes, or C. Because if you look at literally the word re'e in Hebrew, it means C. And ni re'e would be I see. Yes, sir. That's not really C. Perceived. Actually, and that's where we often get it transliterated in English. It says perceive. Because to see is a Greek thought where our eyes become the master of the object. Hmm. In other words, if my eyes are open, I don't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Re does not mean that. Re actually is to make manifest, to make evident 
see what's already there. Yes. Open your eyes, as it were. For example, the name, uh, common name for a, uh, for a, uh, a male common name in Hebrew is, uh, in English we would say Reuben, but in Hebrew it's Reben, which means behold or see a son. Right. Yes. And that's what, um, that's how, actually, this is somewhat unusual. If you read the parashas, parashot in Hebrew, you'll find that oftentimes the name of the parasha is the first, like, real word in the, it's always the first real word in it, but sometimes it's not the first word, because for whatever reason, the first word is, and Adonai, or and Moshe, or and whatever the case may be. So we don't have, like, a good word, and he spoke, or whatever. So we could name all the portions and he spoke, and that wouldn't really work so well. So there's like, every now and again, though, this one is one of the rare ones where the very first word is the name of the portion, right? Um, which is kind of cool, because it's like he's trying to get your attention immediately. Like, the very first thing he says in this portion is, See, behold, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. And, um, and then he l- launches into, the blessing comes if you're obedient, the curse comes if you're disobedient. But he's, he's, uh, he's calling us to like notice it, like you were saying, um, like commenting on. It's something I think that oftentimes, I remember what I had, um, I remember one time I was talking to some people who didn't believe in God, and their question was something like, well, I don't, you know, I don't see him, or I don't, I, I don't accept that, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, what about gravity? You know, if you, if you were to say, well, I just totally disagree with gravity, I'm going to jump off this building and see what happens. You know what? Your opinion really doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> and um, and I think that's kind of what God's saying here. You know, behold, see that like whatever you think the way the world works, I can do this and get away with it, or I don't have to do what you say. That's irrelevant. <laughs> that's not the way that it works. And if and I think that that's one thing. I think sometimes we make the mistake of seeing God's judgment as though God's being mean. Oh man, God's so lame. Like we want, just, we just want to have fun, and God's got to be like, you know, all tough, and he's got to, he's got to like expect more from us. And then he punishes us. We're just trying to have a good time, whatever the case may be. But the reality is that God, um, this is the way the universe works. This is the way that God has created the universe to function. It's like, not only would it not be, uh, it's not only is God not being mean to you when he punishes you for your sin, he is being merciful because if you were to keep sinning, it'd be way worse. Then whatever consequence you suffer for doing so. So the function, the way the world works, just like the way gravity works, is when you sin, there is a curse. And when you're obedient, there is a blessing. That's just the way that it functions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- sorry? Go ahead. But, uh, I think it even goes further than that, because when, when it says, that, when it says, and he says, if you, if you obey me, you receive these blessings. If you disobey me, Curses. We could read that and we could say, okay, this is just the way it is. It's the way the world is, the way the universe, and we would just obey God because just that's just the way it is. It's like it's like you know the people in all the dystopian you know, type movies where people just do what's necessary to get along. They're not happy about it. Mm. It's just the way that it is. Mm. And actually, by using the word re'e, he's actually drawing he's drawing you personally into it. It's not just the way that it is. It is true. This is the way that it is, and it's not going to ever change. And it is true that you might actually consider that it's good to obey God. But he wants you to actually go a step beyond that. And he wants you to re'e and know that this is an intentionally good thing for you. And that he has intentionally given it to you for your good. 
not just because the way that it is. Not general good. Uh, it's not just for it's not just good in general. It's good for you. Right. Absolutely. And sorry. And so so he uses the word re to say it's good for you. Not yeah. just for everybody. That's right. And it is a singular. Um, the word re'eh, it's not re'im, which would be a plural. Uh, in Hebrew, the verbs change depending if it's one person or two. So it's not a plural word, it is a singular. And it's kind of cool because um, Julianne has been doing a Bible study with some other people in this room um, about uh, regarding the, um, the garden story and the Adam and Eve and the beginning of all the whole creation. And um, the serpent comes off so well, if you think about it. Like, it's totally, he's lying. Actually, he's not really lying. He's just, you know, conveniently ignoring certain things. Um, he's asking some really disturbing but uh, quite cunning questions. And basically, what the argument boils down to is really, who do, you, who do you trust? Who do you care? Who do you believe? And like you know, Dad is saying, it's, Eve makes a mistake of not doing that. Eve doesn't see the way that God sees things. Eve sees through her own eyes. And she sees that the fruit is good. And it's you know, nice to know the difference between good and evil. It's not so nice after they take that bite and all of a sudden, you know, their perfect little, you know, kind of uh, ignorance is bliss utopia kind of comes crashing down on their own heads and they realize there are bad things in the world. Not so nice. And I think that that's the case with us too. I think oftentimes we have situations where, um, man, the first, especially in the moment, you're thinking to yourself, well, it's not that bad. It's not going to be that big of a deal, whatever the case may be. But then it, it's amazing, man, years later you look back and you look at the things that you did wrong and you think to yourself, what was I thinking? If I had known then what I know now, I would have never done that. But it's too late. I don't think that ever stops. Does that ever stop? It gets worse. Man, it's amazing. More to regret. It's amazing how brilliant your parents get the older you get. You know, it's really kind of funny. Uh, it's kind of sad, though. I really wish now, looking back on it, that I had understood that better as a younger man to realize how much my parents knew when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Um, because oftentimes it is, it is through the mistakes that I've made that I realize my parents knew better than that. I was, was going to bring you to uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. All the days that you live on the earth is a modifier of possess, which means that the two-state solution <laughs> is a non-starter right, with God. Because he has given the land to their fathers all the days that they live on the earth. The only way to bust that up, the only way to break that gift is that those fathers might not be living on the earth or their descendants, which is why I believe that Hamas's you know, um, beginning rule is to destroy all of the Israelis and remove the Jews from the Right, and you have to, uh, I thank you for mentioning that because um, I think a lot of misnomer, a lot of confusion that exists on this particular topic tends to argue, well, you know, but there's only so much territory here. Can't they just share it? You know, kind of a 50-50 deal. You take half, I'll take half. And uh, first off, we already did that. That's called Jordan. This is called Israel. Um, that was actually 
not necessarily biblical anyway, but we've already done that. Uh, the second thing about that is the fact that if you read and if you listen to the media that's in the Palestinian Authority, you listen to the words that Hamas leaders are saying, they're not talking about sharing. They're talking about temporary ceasefires, or talking about the Jews can live there as long as we're in charge. Mm. Because there is no Israel in the Palestinian mm. ideal. And they are surrounded by nothing but Arab countries. Right. I think that Egypt should give as much land as necessary <laughs> to Hamas and all the folks. Yeah, you know what's funny? The Egyptians don't want them either. Yeah, I know. Yes, sir. Just to somewhat dovetail off of that, um, it's, you know, it's, it, chapter 12 starts out, here's the decrees and ordinances, and then he goes on to describe you, you're going to go in the land and you're going to destroy you know, um, all the places where the Canaanite nations have worshipped and set up you know, idols and Asherim and uh, you know, all of these places, all these things. You're going to go in and just totally destroy it, remove it. Mm-hmm. Right? And then in verse 4 he says, uh, but you shall not do this to Hashem your God, rather only at the place Hashem your God will choose from among all your tribes to place his name. And there shall you seek out his presence. So, uh, he, so he says, you know, I'm going to place my name somewhere, and you'll worship me, and you'll bring your 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 tithes, your offerings, your you know, uh, your tribute, and so forth to me at that place. But all these other places, you know, worship to these idols and whatever, you're going to destroy. And then he goes on to say in verse 10. Um, and you shall cross the Jordan and settle in the land that other than your God causes you to inherit and he will give you rest from all your enemies all around and you shall dwell securely mm. okay mm-hmm. so 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 there's this whole commandment of go into the land possess it tear down all these idle places of worship idolatrous places of worship and um and, and then worship me in the place where I choose to place my name, and then you will have rest and security in the land. Right. Right? And what have we been, you know, since the modern state of Israel came together again, um, uh, as a partial building prophecy in May 1948, what have we, what have, you know, what has the nation of Israel been looking for ever since? Peace. Peace and security and rest in the land from their enemies, which they have not found yet, right? And the question is, when did this actually happen historically, biblically, when did it happen? Shlomo? Exactly, but who was the one that drove out, finally drove out the Canaanite nations? David. David HaMelech was the one. So at this point, we end up setting up a tabernacle in a place called Shiloh, right? Mm -hmm. And in a sense... God temporarily placed his name there because his presence didn't rest there. But the whole time that the tabernacle of Shiloh stood, which was actually a fairly long time, we still had no peace or security in the land. We were still fighting the Philistines. We were still doing this and that. In fact, the Philistines actually end up uh, taking, taking over uh, the tabernacle and they steal the ark and the other stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Philistines, by the way, are from the same area Hamas is right. God, God. Love those guys. Love those guys. But what's interesting is that it's not until we get to um, to David Hamelech, who finally um, destroys all of the can- all of the pagan nations, right? And then immediately after that, his son Shlomo 
builds a permanent place where God places his name permanently and then begins the golden age of Israel, as it were, where there was peace and security for a, a period of time, okay? Which was kind of cool because I think there's a, there's a formula, there's a pattern there, which is ultimately to say that it's only when the king, because we know that David is a picture and type of Messiah, so it's only when King Messiah returns, in our view, and he comes as that warrior king, that once and for all, all of these, um, uh, all of these pagan nations that are worshiping a different god, because the god of Islam is not the same god, contrary to certain popular <coughs> that. Um, all of that will be subdued and the, the evil will be expunged from the land as it were and then what? And then the third and final temple <laughs> will be restored and peace what, what we would call uh, you know, what Christianity would call uh, the millennial reign of Christ um, you know uh, would, begins this period of peace and security <laughs> in the land and it's you see that kind of parallel here in this portion with these commandments. Absolutely, and I think that one of the things we get in this particular portion, over and over and over and over again, is that it doesn't work the way you think it does. One of the things I see both of you. Um, one of the things that in the um, that uh, we've been reading here lately, one of the phrases that's really popular with the Breslov group is "Master of the Universe," Rabono Shalalam. Um, and think about like that's the because that's that's the rule. See, the problem is when I mentioned earlier that, that sin brings you curse, blessing gives you uh, it comes with obedience, and that's the rule of the world. It's not that God is beholden to the rules of the universe. God sets the rules of the universe, but that is the way that it works based on His decision. But ultimately, God is the master of the universe. He is the one who makes it function and structures it the way that He chooses. So when He says, "Do this." don't do this, and you look at it logically, and you go, that doesn't make any sense. We're going to read later in this, where we read earlier in this portion, um, that throughout this portion, it says, give this to this person, give this to this person, bless this person with this, give out this loan, and I will bless the, the fruit of your hands. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. Logically, if I give away my money, I will have less of it. How could I possibly end up better off by giving it away to other people? But that is the way that God makes it work. Because at the end of the day, God is master of the universe. He's Rabono Shalom. He orchestrates exactly how it functions. Um, real quick Hebrew note, just for fun here. Um, you will notice that in this phrase, the verse 2 of chapter 12, you shall utterly destroy. It says, Abad uh, Te'abdon. Um, if those of you who have uh, read the book of Revelation, you'll recognize that word. Because the um, kind of demonic character that shows up Apollyon is the Greek name, or Abaddon, which literally means the destroyer, um, shows up there. So, kind of just a little Hebrew note, just outside of the text. Mom first and then dad. <laughs> she raised her hand first. Yeah. Um, I've been, I'm reading through the historical books, and I'm in Second Kings right now. And as you go from David and Shlomo to the next series of kings, and trying to keep them all straight, it's crazy, but <laughs> you go over and over again, even those 
as Israel goes further and further away, they're getting closer to being taken by Assyria. You see each time that God reiterates in his scripture that they followed the habits of this king rather than his habits. And every once in a while in Judah, you will see a tribe come, or a king come up who follows what God says and yet doesn't take down the high places. Mm-hmm. Over and over again, you'll say, well, he did what I commanded except he never right. took down the high places mm-hmm. until you come to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was the first one after all these generations that came in and took them out. So you see, train up your children because what they kept, even when the better kings would come in, they would still leave the high places. The very things you're reading about right now to remove and utterly destroy, they left them. Mm-hmm. And it would come back to haunt them later. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I mean, my two parallels that were going on all week in my head between this and what I'm reading in Kings to see mm-hmm. the fruition that the people brought on the Well, because they didn't obey this. It's like the book of the Judges. God also commands them to drive out these groups. And throughout the book, of the very beginning of Judges begins by saying, well, they didn't get this group, and they didn't get that group, and they didn't get this group. And then immediately, like, the next chapter is, and one of those groups took them over. Like, I mean, it's like basically, because that's the way it works. God promised them. He said, if you don't drive these people out, there will be thorns in your sides and briars in your eyes, because that's exactly the way that it works. When you don't drive out evil, you have a little bit in there. That's okay. So then I can control it. No, not so much. Yes, sir. Uh, logic tells us, in watching current world events, logic tells us that it would be very dangerous and ill-advised for Israel to, uh, first of all, force out those who no longer should live. And more, more, even more disastrous would be to destroy the high place, that the only place that God has ever placed his nation. Mm. Uh, so, they, so to me, it's almost as if it were like a, a double curse in that, number one, you haven't destroyed that which should be destroyed. Mm. And it occupies the only place that he's placed his name. Mm. Yeah. The logic says that it would be very damaging. I mean, Israel would have repercussions that would be almost incomprehensible. But actually, the way the world works, the way that God has ordered the universe according to this promise, that's where they should start. Rather than trying to destroy Hamas, they ought to destroy the Dome of the Rock okay. and Alaska Mas. Um, and then they will see the protection, a real protection, a more than an iron dome, but a brass dome that will protect them from anything that will come their way. Mm-hmm. I heard an um? Uh, it was me. I just have a question because um, throughout the Bible and, and they have like the story of Israel, just like uh, this promise said that there's a blessing and a curse. So every time um, Israel like sinned and um, got other gods, something bad happened to them. Like they were taken by other countries, and even God spread them out. Mm-hmm. Like said, "Oh, you guys are gonna spread them." Like, you know. So you think that um, th- this war that's happening right now is like God uh, trying like. Israel did something wrong again like it's not following God and God is trying to it's doing the same thing the the curse because they're not following God it's the curse and then it's kind of God saying like raising a flag saying come back to me because mm-hmm. um, before Jesus come back you know like, well 
so yeah. did all this happening right now? I think that well, I, I'm always hesitant to to definitely say what God is doing and not doing. I don't really know. But I think that well, Judaism in general teaches the principle that anytime anything bad happens, it's a good opportunity for you to ask the question, is there anything in my life that God might want me to look at right now? Mm-hmm. It's, so it's not to say that it's always your fault. It might not be. God sometimes lets bad things happen to you because he's teaching you something totally different beyond what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. You might be doing everything right, but God is preparing you for something else. God is trying to teach you a lesson that you will only learn through something that's difficult. Um, and people who've gone through great tragedies will recognize that. They can't blame themselves for everything. But it's also a good time to stop and ask, is there something maybe that I'm doing wrong here? Um, so in the, in your, to your point, I think that, yeah, it would probably be the religious people in Israel probably should be asking the question. Not to say that it's their fault, because I think it's dangerous for us to say that, especially. America's worth so much more than that, um, worthy of so much worse than that. But then I think it would, be, it would be wise to ask the question for them, to ask the question of themselves, to say, well, is there anything that we could be doing better now? Um, and again, not to say that there is, but it's and always... just in Israel are asking that question. Um, especially now as we're getting to a lul, that is the time to do that. Yes, sir. I do think um, I'll repeat or paraphrase what a good friend of ours who... Who, is, who lives in Israel and is um, in the IDF, or was in the IDF, he's, um, he's recently discharged due to injury um, that, he, that he incurred in Gaza. But if you step back and look at what's happened over the last you know, couple months now, um, there's been hundreds and, and maybe even thousands of rockets at this point fired from Gaza into Israel. And yet, um, the number of civilian casualties is, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's minimal. Minimal, okay. They, and they lost 65 or so soldiers when they made the landing in, you know, incursion mm-hmm. you know, a few weeks back. But if you think about, I mean, if you think about that, in other words, Hamas is shooting all of these rockets constantly. We hear him hear it today going off all the time. And yet, um, you know, the rocket hit a school, but it just so happened that that day there was no class for some reason, right? Or it landed, it just like, you know, it was headed, this, but it just kind of ended up landing in an empty parking lot or an empty field or what. And when you think about just the, the odds of having that few uh, civilian casualties relative to the number of opportunities mm-hmm. for um, civilian casualties, I don't see how anybody could ever say that that's nothing except the hand of God protecting Amen. the nation. Amen. And so, um, so there are, we, God's protection is on his people, I believe, even as we speak at this very hour, Yes, I mean, is Israel a perfect nation? Of course not. Um, but they are the apple of his eye, and mm-hmm. he will guard them and protect them. And we see that happening right before our very eyes right now. Joseph, weren't there other times when there were battles and Israel won? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, I hear what you're saying. But, but there were other times, too, when there were battles and they 
were blessed and, and more. It wasn't always that they were always taken over or being punished. Right, and actually, mm-hmm. that, Juliana just recently pointed out she's been, um, she's, uh, praise my godly wife here, she reads her own Bible study on the side, um, even when I'm not there, in addition to the study she's doing with you. And she's been reading the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, we actually read this this week about the, the men of Belial, as they're, they're called in the Hebrew, the, the, those rec, those evil men, or whatever you want to translate in the English, um, who try and lead their city astray. And the job is to go in and wipe out the city because it, it's been proven true. And Juliana pointed out that actually in the book of Judges, we have a situation like this. There's this men in this town in Benjamin, and they, they viciously assault um, a woman who stays there overnight. And... Um, and kill her, and the um, and the guy who was uh, with her um, tells the whole country. He says, "Hey, wait, 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 wait. we've got a. We, this is this is a, this is awful. I can't believe this happened. We have to do something about it." And all of Israel comes together as one man, and they, they basically do that passage. They investigate. They find out it's true, and then they, they go to war with with the city of Benjamin, and they tell the, the the people of Benjamin, "Just give us the bad guys. That's all we want." And they say no. So they they have this war, and for like two straight rounds. The good guys lose. Like hundreds or thousands of like of these Israelites die, and the Benjamites, the bad guys, the ones who did all this, they're winning. They have like you know five hundred people who all happen to be left-handed, which I think is amazing. But anyway, um, and uh, they're really good with the slingshot, and and they're uh, and they're winning. And and so you look at it like a like you look at it from just the, the easy blessings and curses and it'd be easy to say well what's going on here i mean i did what god said and didn't work out um then the people of israel come back to god third time and they say well well, now what do we do and he says go out again they go out again they win and that's the thing is i think that's why i I just say it's it's dangerous for us to make a one-to-one all the time to say well if something bad happens it must be because that person sinned something good happens it must be because they're doing what's right the difference is that sometimes god chooses to let the righteous suffer because he wants them to learn a lesson they can't learn any other way or he just wants to preserve the way for the wicked he's actually caring for everybody else because the righteous suffering right. is an atonement Absolutely. for right. the rest of the people right. and ultimately see that with, with Yeshua as the ultimate example of that as the one righteous who suffered the ultimate righteous one who suffers for the entire world. So we see that concept so that it's not as easy to say it's this or that. However, that being said, I think the blesses and curses thing is an important thing to remember because if you are thinking that I can get away with what I want to do, the answer is no. God is going to see it and he's going to respond. It may not happen now, but you better hope it happens now because the judgment that comes later is way worse than what comes now. God promises to judge his people very quickly for their sins. And you see that time and time again. God judges them, God judges them, God judges them. All this awful, awful, awful stuff. We've been reading in these um, passages in Isaiah, these comforting passages, and God say, I paid you back double for your sins. But what happens? God redeems them. He brings them back. He heals them. He restores them. That's not what he does for everybody else. They get, they get one punishment at the end. They get all this time to repent. They choose not to. It's over. So if, if God, in other words, if you're sinning and God's not judging you for your sin, you better be scared to death. Because that means that in all likelihood, the thing that's coming at the end is way worse than it should be coming now. So, if, so in other words, I guess what I'm saying is that like the blessings and the curses is true. But we have to think about it on a big picture. Sometimes that one-to-one is not true because we're looking at it from our eyes. 
But from God's perspective, perspective, that's the way it works. I got you and I got you. Uh, two things. One to your point is that the apostolic scriptures teach us um, that our sin will find us out. Mm-hmm. You know, God will not move on. Um, I just did a quick search uh, to realize that in verse 5 of chapter 12, you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There shall you go. That his name being placed on a city in Israel appears nine times just in this portion. So I think it would behoove us to figure out where he places it. <laughs> and it might be good to recognize that that's a special place for, if you're Star Trek fan, a portal between heaven and earth, perhaps, where... Perhaps it's the location of the Garden of Eden. Yeah, something is happening. So... Yeah. Um, we can see clearly through other scriptures that that place is, as we have in the picture on the wall... Um, Jerusalem. It is one specific spot in Jerusalem. That's it. So he placed his name there, and that's the city he chose to place his name. <coughs> so if, if if we think it's just another town like Paris or Madrid, you know, it's Hoboken. You know, upstate New York is really important. Um, <laughs> we we need to recognize that place is. Oh, yeah, God just replaced his name there, and yeah. special things happen there. Absolutely. And the word of God bears that. And if you, if you ask the question about, you know, how do we know that's still true, go to the Psalms. It specifically says in the Psalms that he places his eye there forever. Forever. I got you, and I got you. So first, Colby? When you're talking about sin and tribulation, I read a couple weeks ago that the same just said you go 40 days without tribulation, that you <laughs> Unless you're incredibly righteous, no. I drive forty five. I Right, right. So Peter, Peter, Peter added some clarification there, just to say that you should be worried if you've gone forty days without any kind of suffering, because um, that you'd ask, you have to ask the question. Um, it's a good question to ask. I think we all have Bibles in English. Okay. Just a, just a guess. You read um, Psalm 66, um, 8 to 12. Because in my personal life, I had the experience of feeling like I was in a battle that I, that I lost twice than I won. Mm-hmm. And I think these words on, on this chapter shows that sometimes God takes you to the battlefield and he allows the enemy to win mm. over you. And it says this specifically if anyone could read it because it's it, I mean, you saw the picture of the beautiful swimming pool? Okay, I, God gave me this scripture when I first when I got to my house, you know, it's a new house, it's a new place, well, it's 
two years been living there, so it's, it's new. <laughs> and I received this Bible verse. It was after a long trial, some difficulties. And I think I've loved someone to Jesus. Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us, you have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Amen. 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 Um, to keep us moving here, because oh, I mean to run over people, but uh, uh, just so that we are in the middle of chapter 12 and we actually have to get to 16 in the next half hour. So um, I just wanted to like, you know, keep it going. Um, I want to tie in here. It's an interesting, if, if, when we look at the chapter breaks, I think it's sometimes it's, a, it's deceiving because the chapter breaks aren't actually there. Um, that's some monk that said, this would be a good place to stop reading. Pause here. Um, uh, and so that's the way it's, it's structured. Maybe, maybe actually, maybe it may or may not be. It's irrelevant. The point is, that's not the way that Moses delivered it. When Moses originally read this or said this, um, it was just this long, drawn-out sermon. According to the sages, it took a month, by the way. Um, and they uh, maybe he just said it over and over again. Um, the the end of chapter twelve and the beginning of chapter three, there thirteen actually do not. There's no break there technically, in the if you were to read the text straight through. So the end of chapter 12, it says, um, he says, Beware for yourself lest you be attracted after them and after they've been destroyed before you, unless you seek out their gods, saying, How did these nations worship their gods? And even I will do the same. Then chapter 13, verses 2, or actually verse, well, verses 2 and 3, If you ever should stand up in your midst a prophet or dreamer of dream, and he will produce to you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder comes about, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us follow gods of others that you do not know, and we shall worship them. So what we have here, and I want you to kind of see the connection. At the end of chapter 12, he tells the people, Don't ask yourself, how did these guys worship their gods? I'll also worship God the same way. Now, they're still trying to worship the right God. They're just trying to do it their way. The next chapter is about people who will try to lead you to other gods. And I think that God puts those two sections together on, for a reason, because that's the way that it usually works. Very few people, certainly not in this room, are going to go like, oh man, burning to Hinduism tomorrow. I just feel it. You know, it's, that's not the type of people in this room. But um, that being said, what usually ends up transpiring in most people's lives, especially godly people's lives, is they first try to assimilate at some level. They try to appropriate the world's actions to their relationship with God. They try to fit God into what they want. But then after that, that's usually what can lead into idolatry or whatever else. So he's kind of almost like drawing a parallel. You can lead yourself astray, and these people can lead yourself astray. And it's easy sometimes for us to go, oh man, if somebody tried to lead me astray, oh, we're throwing rocks. Like, that's a big deal. But I think that God's trying to also say, you should take the same seriousness on your own self if you're trying to lead yourself away from God in the way that he said to do it. We should remember that the golden calf, they said, look, this is Hashem. They didn't, they didn't say it was a different God. They said it was the same God who brought them out of Egypt. We're going to worship him our way. You know, the sons of Aharon, Nadab and Abihu, they weren't trying to worship a, a, an idol when they brought strange fire before God. 
They were trying to worship the same God. They just wanted to do it their way, and they died. So we have to keep that in mind, that it's not just idolatry does not come in the straightforward attacking this is a different deity, try and worship this instead. Sometimes it comes very, very uh, sneakily, and it's simply a way to like reappropriate evil and try to use it for good, and that's that's the danger that we can have there. And it presses a doorbell. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. There are lots of traditions um, that we can we can appropriate to ourselves that are that are an error. Yes, sir. Uh, just you know, it, it brings to mind that we we should do we can't be always correct. We should do our best to always find the most ancient tradition, mm. um, and simply because it, it has been tested by time as not following our own way or the things that we're inclined to. And you know, there's you can read a lot of like Christianity Today and other places actually talking about where a lot of a lot of uh, churches in evangelical Christianity that went the whole seeker-friendly route are now rethinking it because what they discovered, and obviously this is not a blanket statement, but what oftentimes they discovered is as they let in the way of the world and entertainment, what came with it was so bad that eventually people stopped coming to church at all because there was no real reason. <laughs> right. And and and. And, and we see it in mainstream churches as well. You know, really you know, old mainstream churches. You know, they're hotbeds of you know homosexual priests or whatever else. But the point is, though, at least being diligent to try and find traditions or or ways of approaching God that are ancient and time tested, as opposed to finding the latest trend that seems to feel good to us. Right, and I. Um... That's one thing that I was highlighting from this passage. I think about like our modern one modern trend that has kind of um, kind of stepped in. I think is this um, Jesus is my boyfriend attitude. You know, it's very much this this mentality that God is my big buddy in the sky, and I'm going to give him a big hug, and that's the way that our relationship works. And um, God is consuming fire, and I think that it's a big mistake for us to get um, too comfortable there. You know, there is. I think the Song of Songs is written to talk about God and his people. So God has a passionate love for his people that is way deeper than we can understand. But it's a big mistake, I think, for us to, in light of that, to turn him into a bigger version of us. And I think that, that sometimes is a, is a fallacy that we can snag onto. Yes, sir? So, so going back to 13, when we get to the discussion of... Judaism calls the enticer, right? The one who entices you away. And, you know, false prophets, you know. And, of course, unfortunately, and there's a whole lot of history that we can spend a lot of time talking about, but unfortunately, Jesus is basically classified according to, you know, uh, it, it certainly uh, modern Judaism, but, you know, that. He's been classified that way for many centuries now um, as essentially an enticer, right? He is he is someone uh, who may be family, right? He may be Jewish, but he he's viewed as someone who is trying to entice the Jewish people um, away from Torah, away from mitzvot, away from um, living the way God has commanded according to the Torah. And he does it with, um, with you know, these kind of uh, 
uh, beguiling tricks and miracles, and he so he's a miracle worker, but he's enticing people away from the true faith in, in uh, the God of Israel, <clears throat> and that uh, and that is sort of a camp um, that Jesus is put into because largely because of all the history and the way he's been portrayed to the Jewish people by traditional Christianity and because the way he's been portrayed is exactly an enticer according to the Torah. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the traditional Jewish response to somebody like that is absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. They're doing exactly what they should be doing <clears throat> according to the Torah. Um, <clears throat> so, so there's a so I think one of the things that we, one of the, I think, opportunities, responsibilities, obligations that we have is to really try to um, represent the true Yeshua, the true Jewish Messiah, who is not at all an enticer. Amen. Right. And um, so it's just something to think about. How, how can we better do that? And how can we represent the real Messiah of Israel mm -hmm. to his people and ultimately we know from scripture that it's ultimately going to be God who um, unveils as it were um, his true identity to his people but nevertheless we certainly at the very least do not want to be contributing to this idea that Jesus is an enticer. Absolutely I think the first verse of chapter 13 says this so well it says the entire word that I command you that shall you observe to do you shall not add to it and you shall not subtract from it and that of course is the accusation Yeshua subtracts from mm -hmm. the word of God and adds to it, and adds to it. Um, when in fact actually Yeshua himself said I don't do that I got you and I got you so go ahead going back to your uh, whole uh, Jesus is my boyfriend point um, do you have Taylor Swift actually it's not Taylor Swift it's other Christian groups yeah, but, that sound um, like Taylor Swift what, what, I, what I was thinking is a lot of times what, what I compare our relation, my relationship to God which is, it doesn't encompass the, the entirety of what it is but sometimes what I compare it to is uh, the relationship a, 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 a knight would have with his right mm -hmm. king mm -hmm. how, how that dynamic worked you know, several hundred years ago was completely different than what we have in any concept of right now Mm -hmm. Even uh, our relationship to our president is nothing like it was. The the loyalty mm -hmm. and the respect and the, the the deference you would give to the rightful king of your country was we have no we have no real comparison to it nowadays. So I, I think if you go back and you read about that, that's the kind of deference and respect and you know maybe even more so we need to have with God. Absolutely. I mean, he's number one, and that's um, middle of chapter thirteen. We have, he actually says, if your brother, your son, your daughter, so-and-so, all these people try to lead you astray, you have to be the one to expose them. Like, it's not just, I got you, it's not just that you have to, like, um, that you have to reject them. You actually have to expose them to everybody else and say, this person tried to, you know, lead us to idols. And if you remember, Yeshua actually has a very similar comment in the, in the Gospels. He says that he who does not hate father and mother for me is not worthy of me. Now, Christians have a hard time with this passage because it's like, what does this mean? It's like, obviously it's not, not really hate. It's like the love for God has to be so great. It's as though they hated their own family. But actually, I think that if you read this passage, it makes it make so much sense. It's the idea that like, in other words, 
it's not saying we hate like I, I, say, I mean, obviously we have a different structure without a Sanhedrin and all those other types of stuff we can't we're not doing chapter 13 we don't stone people because we don't have the system that God put in place for that to work but the point being is that what Yeshua is saying is exactly what's going on in Deuteronomy 13 that is if someone tries to lead you away from God and it's a choice between God and them it's only God there is no alternative there's no like well I can kind of do half of them and we'll try to have half of God it is one or the other and that is um, some of the extreme perspective, but it's what we have here in, this, in the Torah. And then again, Yeshua repeats it. So I've got you, you, and, and then did you want to make comments? Oh, we've got we got a pile of comments over here. Everybody actually has my finger on Matthew 10. But oh, read exactly it. What read I was it. Gonna say. No, oh. it's just what you just said. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. But the other thing <laughs> was, that was really interesting was like back to Mr. Upton's point about how that Yeshua is kind of seen as sort of a false prophet in, in a lot of times today. Was that case? during that time as well. Mm-hmm. That was the constant accusation towards him. And the one thing he always upheld was the full validity of the Torah. That's what it always came back on, and it always shut people up. And it, it's cool because in John, it's when he mentions, like, if you could, if you don't even believe Moses, then you wouldn't believe me. Right. And uh, just, again, reiterating the importance of, like, what is the, what's the key differentiator between a false prophet and, and one who is speaking truth, and the it's the, the Torah, exactly. Okay. So just those. Absolutely, totally. And I think about, like, um, I mean, Mr. Martin and I both work in a job where we have to keep rules. I tell people no from time to time um, in a corporate world. And uh, But I think in both cases, I, I would like to say, and actually I learned it from him, so I know he does this. Um, you try not to say no if you don't have to. You try to find those mitigating factors. You try to find those opportunities where, like, well, okay, it is definitely wrong to do it this way, but if we do it this way, it's technically okay. So, not to say that we try to break the rules. We try to keep the rules, but also help the people we're working with to do what they want to do. It is, it is, well, it is marrying the, the Torah, marrying the law with mercy, is with grace. It's trying to, it is trying to, it's not, it's not being overly, it's not being um, lenient in the sense that like we let people get away with what they shouldn't do, but it's trying to find what does the law let us do what does the law enable us to do? How, where is the mercy in the law? And I think that's what Yeshua is doing. And so he gets accused a lot of breaking it by people whose standards were stricter or whatever the case may be. But it really, actually, ironically enough, if you look at a lot in every case, but in several cases, Judaism actually ended up agreeing with him. Because later on, they went back and go, you know, that, that Shammai guy, his rules were way too strict. We like the Hillel guy better. As I'll say, that it requires a greater Torah scholar to be lenient right. in matters of halakha. It's easy to just take the <laughs> absolute strictest stance because then you, as the as the posek, have no liability. Right. But if you are going to be lenient, then you, as the posek, have potential liability that if you actually let somebody go a little too far and actually violate what God is saying. That's on you as right. the judge, as the Dayan, as the Pusik. So Hazal say it's actually much more, it requires a much greater uh, uh, teacher and judge to be lenient in matters of, of Torah law and Halakha. Absolutely. Hazal being, of course, our sages of blessed memory. Marianne, we're going to come in a big circle. It was something that Greg said a few thoughts back. Maybe you think of this um, only because. I do. May I never use my reason against the truth. Mm. I think people do, that's what they do. They intuit. 
like to lie with it, reasoning, you know, <clears throat> reason against the truth. Absolutely. And that's what I bought into, and when I spouted off. Like, very easy. Oh, you're not the only and one. I, it's been a long, long time. It's long. Just yesterday. This is Bella. I was just going to say that because um, there is this mis- uh, this misinterpretation of Jesus that he was against the law mm-hmm. when he was actually uh, in favor of the law. So um so it's just because he was um like favor of the torah but it what happened was that the pharisees they were not doing the he was against the the traditions because he will always like call out on the pharisees that were like the masters of the law but they were actually doing bad things they were like um my mom teach me that there was um there is the 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 written Torah, which is the good one, and the oral Torah, which is the bad one. And uh, the oral Torah is um, what they were teaching. Like they 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 said there were two Torahs, and uh, that's wrong. So that's what Jesus would. He was against the the oral one, and uh, which now has become a written one also, but. In, in the, that time, they were always being like, "Oh, you you can um, you can't just by pure your parents, but if it's for God, you can. Mm. Like that's wrong, you know. Like they, they you can never disrespect." What you're your saying is, is true to a certain extent. Uh, I would be careful though to say it was all of what he did. He. To say that he was against traditions is not true. He kept the vast majority of the traditions of the Jewish people. Praying before he ate is actually one of them. Exactly. Praying before he ate was one of them. Um, But he did not appreciate or support those that caused a burden on the people or would prevent life from being exalted beyond Shabbat. Mm -hmm. So I think over time, as you spend time with us, you'll see that I I would argue with you in a year from now that Yeshua was very much like a Pharisee. In fact, so much so, two Pharisees buried him. That's shocking. But you'll see over time that he normally supported what they did. They ate with him, he ate with them, and he supported what they did. He did not support beyond. And the people you described were not the Pharisees, but the scribes. Different issues. But the Pharisees. Exactly. Support what they said, no need. They were keeping, like, the people. They they were not doing, like, they were doing good things, but not, they they were doing bad things also. Right, you're absolutely right. And actually, ironically enough, the, the oral Torah, which is now the written Talmud, um, actually has examples. They comment on some of their own people, people that Yeshua was bad at, who were hypocrites. And they, they have very nasty words for them as well. Some of the same words. Because the point being that um, at the time, we have to remember that the time of Yeshua and Jew- Judaism today are two somewhat different things. 
time of Yeshua, there is a lot of discussion and a lot of debate that's happening that later gets settled, um, later gets dis- uh, finished, completed, um, bef- before we have the Talmud, before we have the Oral Torah written down. And during Yeshua's time, he's arguing with the people that most of whom lost, actually. Ironically enough, like I said earlier, Yeshua ends up being on the side of the Oral Torah a lot of the time because mm-hmm. in the end, after, after people really thought about it and talked about it for hundreds of years after Yeshua, they came to the same conclusions he did in a lot of areas. Not all of them. There are still some that we disagree with because we, we agree with Yeshua and not with the sages. But on a lot of them, they actually ended up like agreeing at the same point. And the reason they agreed is because Yeshua did know what he was talking about. Because you're right on that point. Yeshua was going with the Torah, and he, was, and he was leaving it at the Torah. And there were other people who were trying to add, like we just saw, you're not supposed to add to. They were adding too much to, and they were actually confusing people and causing problems that God did not want them to have. One example we had, we just had um, Mr. Martin teach us on Tuesday night talking about how we keep Shabbat eating, uh, uh, harvesting fruits and vegetables. We're not harvesting. We don't harvest. But you're allowed to eat them. So if you were to wander out, not don't go out in their garden because they don't want you to do that right now, but <laughs> if you were to wander out into your field and in in, you have a nice little garden outside and pluck off an apple or a tomato or whatever else and have it for lunch, that's totally okay. The, the funny thing is Yeshua said the same thing. That's what Judaism today says. That's what Yeshua said. Now, some of the Pharisees who were overly strict, overly zealous, they were coming to Yeshua and saying, your disciples are plucking grain here on Shabbat. They're not allowed to do that. And Yeshua goes, why not? Basically, I'm paraphrasing. And ironically enough, as we see, the later Pharisees that became Judaism today ended up agreeing with Yeshua. So you're right. Yeshua was arguing with them, but Yeshua's points were so good that some of their descendants agree with him. No, but I was going to say that um, like, you have to follow the law and the commandments of God and have a relationship. You know, have to give your life to Jesus and you go to heaven. You don't necessarily have to do the traditions to go to heaven. Right. True. Like, the traditions are just not adding, but they're just traditions. Like, I, you know, like, for example, all women have to wear long skirts until here but for example I'm wearing a skirt until here and I love Jesus and I'm doing everything I'm gonna go to heaven you know what I'm saying like the traditions are good after some point because you don't need them to like have a relationship with God and those stuff right absolutely no and I think I, let me use an analogy um, I see you um, an analogy that I think maybe it might help here it's kind of like marriage um, in, a, in a marriage I wear a wedding band right here, and the wedding band is a tradition. If I, if I were to not have a wedding band, as some people in some cultures do, or if I were to somehow lose my wedding band, God forbid, um, that would not mean I was not married. That wouldn't change the relationship I have with my wife. She might not be happy with me if I lost my wedding band. But the point being that... Um, She'll turn into a nose ring. Yeah, the point... Uh, That's tradition. The point being that, um, that it is a tradition. It doesn't change the relationship I have with her. That being said, it helps. And that, I think, is the thing with tra- of all traditions, is when we look at the traditions, whether it's Jewish traditions or even some Christian traditions, as the case may be, um, you look at traditions, the question is, does it help us follow God? Or does it pull us away from God or put 
things between us and God. And that, I think, is what Yeshua was primarily attacking, is some of these traditions were causing people to attack other people on the base of those traditions. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. And, God, and Yeshua's going, that attitude about traditions is not what the Torah talks about. The Torah wants there to be mercy and love and compassion and grace. And if you're going to be, um, you know, I can't be with them because <laughs> did you see what they did? Based And it's not based on the Torah. Like here, wait, wait, somebody breaks the Torah on some of these things, some of these commandments, you die. Like God's rules are very strict. But we're talking about adding to that. And then you're judging people for adding to it. And Yeshua's going, that attitude's not right. So you're right. There are some traditions that are that are bad. There are some traditions that are neutral. They don't matter. You can keep them or not keep them. It doesn't matter. And then there are some traditions that are helpful, just like the wedding band, helpful relationship with God. Some are necessary. And some necessary traditions. Because if you don't have the traditions, we don't even know how to do this. We don't even have a Bible. That's right. This entire book, the number, which books are in here? Like which, well, actually this one's, this one's technically got a, mostly just straight from the Torah. But if you have, if your Bible, you have books in the Bible that actually there was discussion. Some of the people were like, we should we put that in the Bible or not put that in the Bible? Because it doesn't necessarily have God's name in it, like the book of Esther. We don't know where it came from, maybe. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, so it is a tradition. It's a very good tradition. In fact, I would say it's a necessary tradition. I think it was a God-ordained tradition, but it is technically a tradition as to which books are there. Then vowel pointings. You wouldn't know how to read your Bible. Well, also true. The Hebrew vowel pointings, if you look in your Bible... Um, the Hebrew, uh, the vowels, some of the letters are put in there based on tradition. We have, because Hebrew is all consonant based. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. So, uh, so a couple thoughts. Uh, one is that Yeshua, in, if, you, if you look at the way Yeshua interacts with the, with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, in really, in put yourself in the story and in the context, okay, a lot of those discussions were like between family members, right? Mm -hmm. So because I love my daughter a lot, if she's doing something wrong, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rebuke her. Stronger, I'm going to stronger than her. you would if you were rebuking me. If, you know, you know, <laughs> I love Mary. She's like a daughter to me, but I'm not. I don't have the same level of responsibility for Mary that I do for Andrea. So I can't. I couldn't. You know, I couldn't get in her business like I can my own daughter's business because I'm not. I don't have that role in her life. That's that my gentleman's responsibility, right? So I think you also have to understand that. When we see in in the Gospels these really sometimes heated debates between Yeshua and um, and the Pharisees and the scribes, there's no question he had some disagreements with them, and because he loved them so much, and because they're family, the mishpocha, right? He got in their face and said, "No, no, no, no. this is the proper understanding." <clears throat> but he also said in Matthew chapter 23 the scribes of the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moshe therefore do what they tell you to do but don't do what they're doing referring to the hypocrites that were among them because the problem that he had with them 
was not so much what they were teaching or, or, or what they were teaching the people to do. He actually said, no, do what they tell you to do. Just don't do it the way they're doing it because they're not preaching or they're not practicing what they preach. They're being hypocritical. And then he goes on in that same in that same chapter, 23 of Matthew, to, I mean, just gave them the scathing rebuke about their hypocrisy, right? You lengthen your tzitzit to try to show off. You broaden your, your tefillin. You, you, know, you pray out loud in the temple so that everybody can hear you so you can look pious. All these things that they were doing to make themselves look righteous it wasn't it, it wasn't so it wasn't so much the thing it was the attitude of the heart that they had that and he got in their face about that uh, more often than not and then a lot of the other a lot of the other debates they had were specifically around um, halakha regarding healing on Shabbat um, and he made it clear that the preservation of life and relieving human suffering always takes precedent over Shabbat, hands down, period, right? Because when he would heal somebody on the Shabbat and the Pharisees would say, well, why you can't heal on Shabbat, right? He could have, you know, in most of those cases, there was no life or death situation. He could have waited until Sunday when they came to church <laughs> and he could have healed them on Sunday, right? He intentionally chose to heal them on Shabbat to make the point to the religious scholars who were debating. It was a debate that was raging at the time about, is it appropriate to heal on Shabbat? Why is it even a discussion? Because Shabbat is a picture of the Messianic age when there will be no sickness. So if we're rehearsing Shabbat, should we, should we, really, should we really be you know, dealing with and acknowledging sickness or suffering? Because the Shabbat is a picture of a time when there will be no suffering. And to this day, they said, don't pray for the sick on Shabbat. Right, but Yeshua said, no, no, no. it is absolutely, you are always allowed to put human suffering above the Shabbat. Okay. And, and that was the point that he was making. So, so I think we have to really understand all of that dialogue in context. The other thing I would say is this. Um, if Yeshua walked in the room today, assuming we recognized him when he walked in. Who's that Jewish guy? If he walked in the room today and he said, he gave, he made some statement or some commandment or gave some instruction, are we going to obey? Yes. Or are we going to wait and say, well, Yeshua, that's great. As soon as we convene a council and we debate that and it gets canonized and gets written down, <laughs> I'll be happy to do that. Right? In other words, the, 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 the thing that we have, the thing that we call the Bible, is compiled by men. In other words, men decided, I believe, with God's help, inspiration, mm -hmm. what we have in our Bible. What if they were wrong? What if there's something that should be in here that's not? The Catholics have a few extra books. Maybe they're right. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So the point is this, that um, everybody has traditions. Even those who say they have no tradition mm -hmm. have a tradition of having no tradition. Mm -hmm. In other words, we interpret and we apply and we understand Scripture through some sort of lens. Some of us interpret it through a Catholic lens. 
or a Protestant lens or an evangelical lens or a Hebrew roots lens or an Orthodox Judaism lens. Everybody has a lens. Everybody has a Talmud, an oral tradition of how mm -hmm. to understand it. And the question is, whose oral tradition are you going to use? Are you going to use Matthew Henry's commentary? Are you going to use, you know, Catholic are you going to use, um, you know, Michael Rood or Nehemia Gordon? Are you going to use, uh, you know, Orthodox Judaism? Or my favorite, are you going to make one up? <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, everybody, if we're all honest with ourselves, mm -hmm. has to interpret and apply Scripture through some oral meaning. Oral meaning, all oral means is it was taught to you. Some oral understanding of how to interpret and how to apply. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that's just the reality. A lot of people don't want to acknowledge that because there, there's this idea of I'm, I'm only I'm sola scriptura. I only rely on what's written. But the truth of the matter is that's not true because there's really not much debate over what the scripture says. We can read it. We know what it says. The debate is what does it mean and how do I apply it? Absolutely. And how do I apply it, and what does it mean, has to come through an oral understanding that is taught to you from somebody. Thank you very much. And not to uh, cram people too much, but my dad's going to have a comment, and we probably really need to move on, because we're about to... Uh, well, and you, about to move on. Oh, okay, so please, go ahead. I got scared. I know. So after you get him, I come back over. Are you, are, you, are you moving on? I'm going to make one comment about Pharisees first. Okay. Yeah. I'll come back over there, there are lots of people in a council that condemned Yeshua to death. Pharisees specifically left and had nothing to do with it. They wanted nothing to do with it. Right. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees did not agree. No other group did that. Only the Pharisees said they wanted nothing to do with it. But everybody else condemned him. Everybody, everybody else well, was it. Well, the council condemned him. The Pharisees said, nope, and we're leaving. Pete. We're back in the portion now. But I, I wasn't done. Uh, <laughs> you're going to change. You're changing subjects, right? I'm changing subjects. Okay, so. I think these gents were also previously on a previous no, subject. Okay. So, what? Change subject. Go ahead. Okay, I'm confused now. All right, so I, I just wanted to point out we'll come back 30 later. times, and I'm, I'm going to defer it to Rick here um, in a second, but 30 times just in this portion, it says, you shall not fill in the blank. Ooh. 30 times, just this one portion. You shall not worship, you shall not eat, you shall not do, you shall not worship, you shall not add, you shall not listen, you shall not yield. It's all over the place. And I, I think it's important that we recognize all of these things here in this portion. Because there's positive commandments and there's negative commandments. And there's far more negative commandments in this portion in what we should not do. Hmm. And quite frankly, as I look at a lot of these things, you shall not borrow. You shall not harden your heart. You know, sh shall not let this man go empty-handed. These these are big things. And I think we should not just gloss over them and go, yeah, that's what they were told, this big, long thing he talked for 30 days. There's some, some pretty big specifics here that have nothing to do with tradition and have nothing to do Judaism back then. It has to do with our faith today, right now. Absolutely. Pete and then my dad. Okay. Yeah, there's actually like 60. 
right in here. Wow. Right? There are tradition holds that there are 613 commandments in the Torah, and there are apparently a tenth of them, 60, in this in this Torah right. shop. 17 positive and 38 negative. 38. I knew it was more than 30. Look at that. Wow. Um, uh, I was on the The enticer. I don't think he's on the tape here. Nobody in Gascony is going to remember. The enticer. I, oh, I was Joshua. Can you hear Pete? I think I think Pete needs to speak to that Joshua. Um, no, speak to that mom back in the corner. Yeah, speak to my parents. <laughs> it's 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 the idea. Firstly, that we want to always judge our fellow man favorably. Okay, judge our man favorably. So uh, you see someone do something. Bad. We're supposed to try to see the, the good side, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, try not to think of them as an evil person and stuff like that. And especially try not to pass judgment immediately. But we see with this enticer person that you're not supposed to show them any kindness or anything like that. You're supposed to kill them pretty much immediately. And the illusion is back to Genesis again. Mm -hmm. Because there was an enticer there, it's a serpent. Mm. And if you see, Hashem never asks the serpent like why he did this or anything like that. He doesn't question him or try mm -hmm. to judge him on the side of favor, but he just immediately curses him. Yeah. And huh. um, we're always trying to do what Hashem does. Right. So that's mm -hmm. one thing Hashem does is when, when someone tries to entice someone away from Hashem, it just mm -hmm. kills them. I think Yeshua said something like, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and to throw you in the ocean than to lead one of these little ones astray. By, by the way, this is also part of where the tradition in Judaism, if someone in the Jewish community converts to another religion, they sit shiva for him. That's right, you're dead. Because they consider him dead. He was, you know, because they were either enticed away by somebody else, but it's but they're basically... If they let them stay in the community, they potentially entice someone mm. else. And so it's basically your debt to us mm. because we have to touch you off, essentially. Mm -hmm. Unless you entice somebody else. Uh, yeah. Moving on to the foods of uh, Deuteronomy 14. Yes, let's let's move we forward. Specific foods. Actually, the vast majority is it foods that we are not meat that we are not permitted to eat. The aya and the daya. And right. and, uh, but of particular note, and we were just discussing it at, at, at Oneg, the idea that uh, basically land animals, their meat is very particular. The, the, how do we identify whether meat is in the approved or the disapproved list is fairly simple. There's not a lot of debate. Same thing with fish. There are some, there are some areas that are a little bit fishy, but you might be able to figure it out, most of it, and certainly for the most part, it's not like you're not going to go hungry, because you're probably going to be able to find something to eat. Uh, bugs are a bit of a problem, because there's almost always off the table. Gotta have knees. Gotta have <laughs> knees, and they gotta go the right direction. They can't be smart. However, when it comes, as we've discussed, as it comes to birds, birds are not so clear. And We had the positive, we know that we are permitted to eat certain ones, but there's not a long list. But it says simply here, it just simply says you can eat the clean ones. And it has a long list of those you can eat. And of course, anybody that, that, that is prone to saying, well, I'm only going to do what the Torah says, you have to ask, do you eat chicken? Right. <laughs> do you eat turkey? If you eat chicken and you eat turkey, then you're not following the Torah. Well, rather, so, you're following a tradition about what the right. Torah is saying. That's right, and, and so, which is not wrong. 
The most of the tradition, though, most of the tradition errs on the side of caution. Right. Where the tradition actually, we don't know what all these animals are, necessarily these birds, so we're just not going to do anything like anything close to them. Which is why there's certain birds that you're allowed to eat. It's based on whether or not people way, 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 way back knew they were okay to eat. If, it's, if like, oh yeah, we've always eaten that one. If we, well, yeah, we've always eaten that one. So that one must be a that's that's one of the good ones because some of these Hebrew words are very ancient. We don't even know what they are, what these animals are. Some of them. So it's like we don't know what the animal is, then we want to err on caution. But we know that people thousand years ago were eating chickens. So Jewish people, people are keeping the Torah. So chickens are okay. But some of these, you know, I mean, do we have baked cameront? Yeah, so, so, so it is based upon a tradition that we eat chicken, that some people eat chicken, if you, if you eat chicken. It's based on a tradition that we eat chicken and turkey is kosher, and yet you don't eat giraffes, and there's specifically given examples that you can eat. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Mind you. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, one of the things that in the Chabad commentary this week that I found kind of interesting is they point out that the Talmud considers the Hasida and the list of birds that you can't eat as like kind of like a stork. Mm-hmm. And what the quote in the Talmud is, is that this bird, like a Hasida, is like the, the benevolent one. Like it's, I mean, it comes from Hasid. And so uh, they were saying this bird is, is compassionate to his comrades. And then a rabbi comes back and says, well, then how come we can't eat it? Because it's lists him as not being a kosher bird. And the rabbi then responds, it is because we are not supposed to just be compassionate to our comrades. We are right. supposed to be compassionate to everyone. Right. And it was a cool lesson, like, in the midst of the, uh, the list of the birds, that, which mirrors Yeshua's lesson about, like, right. not just loving the people that love you, because even the tax collectors do that. That's easy. Well, yeah, we're supposed to even love and, our enemies. And really, who likes tax collecting? Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I don't. So, yeah. my next comment is in chapter 15. Let's yeah. keep it moving. All right, so uh, chapter 15, you know, we get into the discussion of the Shemitah here and loans being forgiven and all this. And then in verse 7, it says, uh, in the English, there shall be a destitute person among you. Um, it goes on to say, you know, don't harden your heart. You've got to give generously to your brother and so forth. And in the Hebrew, it says, ki v'cha evyon. Evyon is the word that's translated as destitute. Um, or it's also, sometimes it's translated as poor, uh-huh. right? Um, in fact, you know, we have a tradition. Well, actually, that's not a tradition. It's actually commanded. It's recorded in Esther that we give gifts to the evyonim, the poor among us, right? Mm-hmm. Gifts of food. And um, what's interesting about that is um, we see Yeshua, you know, taught, Yeshua kind of led a voluntary lifestyle of poverty, as it were, not in the sense that he, we don't, we can't really see in the Gospels that he really claimed ownership of any real material possessions other than the clothes on his back. And we even see in some cases where, you know, he tells the rich young ruler, you know, sell everything, follow me. Mm -hmm. And we know that the early, um, certainly the early congregation in Jerusalem, Messianic believers in Jerusalem, sort of did that. They basically sold most of their possessions and they lived, you know, 
um, um, not in abject poverty, but they just live the life of simplicity. It's probably again, but um, so Evian was actually a term that they ended that ended up uh, they ended up adopting for themselves. They called themselves the, the poor ones, um, and we see this actually recorded in the early uh, church father um, writings of origin. He calls them the Ebionites, is another hmm. name for the early believers, the early followers of Yeshua, but it, it plays off this word, uh, Ebionim, the poor ones, the ones who had voluntarily given up everything to follow Yeshua. Um, uh, and it says, it goes on to say that there will always be Ebionim in the land. So, kind of a neat idea there that to the extent that Evionim is this term that is applied to believers in Messiah Yeshua, mm -hmm. we have a promise that there will always be Evionim in the land. Okay. And then it goes on and it says in verse, um, uh, where was I? So, um, open your hands, see. So it goes on and says, for the destitute. Um, uh, for, uh, I'm in verse 11 now. For the destitute people will not cease to exist within the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall surely open your hand to your brother, to your Evion, um, mm -hmm. and to, and then the, the translation uses a different word in the Hebrew. It's, it's um, the word ani. But it's not ani as an I, because that starts with an aleph. It's ani with an ayin. And it, and it's and it's used as poor or afflicted or okay, mm -hmm. and Chazal say that Ani is a title and a name for Messiah. Mm -hmm. And where do they get that? They go to Zechariah nine. Um, they go to Zechariah nine verse. Uh, I think it's verse nine. Hold on, real quick. Zechariah. Uh, it's the famous passage of uh, somebody, somebody on Zechariah 9, 9, 3. I got it. Yes. <laughs> Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt? So that word. Full of a donkey. Humble is ani. Ani, right. Mm. Um, so they, the Chazal connect the dots sages. and sages, sorry, connect the dots and they say, ah, Ani, the, the, the poor one, the destitute one, the afflicted one, is Messiah. And they also connect that to Isaiah 53. He will be smitten of God, afflicted, Ani. <laughs> And they connect. They connect it there as well. So, this discussion about um, the poor ones has this other kind of cool um, parallel to Messiah. Not to say that followers of Messiah have to be poor. There were actually some very wealthy historical ones, um, including for the backs. Just a, a cool thing regarding charity, because it's neat that this particular portion focuses a lot on charity, and traditionally speaking, the rule is a time to be extra charitable for various reasons, but 
Rashi pointed out that where it says in verse 7, if there shall be a destitute person among you, any of your brethren in any of your cities, and he emphasizes that the poor in your city take precedent over the poor anywhere else. It's the brother that is close by you that you have to take care of first and foremost. And uh, to quote Rob Colby, we were talking about this recently. <laughs> this was so good. He was like, he's like, yeah, man. I'm <laughs> So he was like, and he said, uh, he was like, it's, it doesn't say, I was hungry, so you donated to the Salvation Army. <laughs> like, I was hungry, so you fed me. You know, it's, it's very personal. Every, everything that Yeshua mentions regarding being charitable to people is very, like, one-to-one. I'm handing this over to you, not to, like, an organization to, like, then distribute mm. to who knows where. You know, it's pretty cool. Rob Barzillai. Rob Barzillai. Very good. Yes. Um... Yeah, that was chapter. We're getting towards the end here. We need to wrap up here. Um, chapter. Yes, sir. It's completely relevant to that chapter. But the part about giving um, Gentiles, like um, you can sell them on kosher food. No, um, there's certain things. Let's back up here. It's not selling them on kosher food. It's selling them the food the that's animal that died. the dye. The animal that died by itself. My question is, if I have pigskin gloves, am I allowed to sell them? Yes. Yeah. That's clothing. It has nothing to do with food. You don't eat them. As yeah, long as you actually, don't clothing food. is fine. You don't eat those gloves? No. Okay. Yeah, yeah actually, you can, yeah, as far as, like, I mean, hey. What if you garden with those gloves? Uh, also, it's not food. Problem. You can do anything you want with you can have a, you can have a You can have a spoon made out of out of a donkey bone. It's okay. <laughs> got a whole set of them got for our wedding. Now I don't get you for your. We should go in together. They're kind of pricey. Now we, now we know what he's getting them for the wedding gift. Donkey bones. Donkey bones. In a leather skin alligator case. Yes, you can play football. Yes. Exactly. Um, I think it's cool. Did I hear a comment? Oh, I think it's cool that when God starts off chapter, I think it's 14 or 15, he talks about these are not the things that you should do as my children. And then he begins to go into a long list of the things that his children do. And it's the things that they eat. And it's the way that they take care of each other. And it's the time that they work, the time that they don't work. And then in chapter 16, he ends up with the, the holidays that they celebrate. And it's so interesting because if you think about it, like in chapter 14, he's like, you're not supposed to be the types that are like gashing yourself, you know, for the, for the dead. And I think about the story of Elijah, you know, Eliyahu is on the mountain, Mount Carmel, and he's got these priests of the idols and they're, you know, cutting themselves and whatever else, trying to get their God to pay attention to them. And God's like, that's not what I want. But you know, it's funny because I think some of us sometimes have a tendency to almost be like, well, that's almost like it'd be easier. It's like it's easier to, you know, beat yourself or something, like, rather than do these day-to-day commandments that God expects a lot from us. Now, they are very easy and they're very compassionate. The yoke is an easy one, but it is also a daily one. And that is the difference, is that, like, God expects something from us consistently that does take a lot from us. And a lot of people want that, want that easy way out. It's like, I, I heard a story one time, some guy was like, a lot of people say, man... There was a hand grenade right there. I dive on it, save all your lives. Well, that's lovely. It really happened. But, yeah, it's like that's one time that you sacrifice yourself to people around you. What are you doing the other thousands thousands of days that you have on, your, on this earth? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
Uh, I think that at the end, as we're getting towards the end here, he has these holidays, which we're about to step into. Um, and I think I love the fact that he is so much rejoicing in these holidays. In Shavuot, there's rejoicing with your family. In Sukkot, it's called the time of our joy. And I think it's so great that, like, God, he wants us at some level to be happy. That doesn't mean we can always do what makes us happy, because sometimes what makes us happy is bad for us. But in God's ideal world, we should find, like what my dad was saying at the very beginning of this discussion, we should find his commandments as joyous, and then we should be happy mm-hmm. in the midst of keeping mm-hmm. them. So I got you, and then I got you. Uh, Deuteronomy 23 is unique in the Word of God. Because, I beg your pardon, Leviticus 23? It's all the feasts. It's all the feasts. And Deuteronomy 16, because it has those three Big where ones. the men must show pilgrimage pieces. Got you, and I've got you, and then we kind of need to wrap up here. So picking up on one of the three feasts, the first one, it talks about, of course, this Pesach, and it says, you know, uh, that you'll bring your, your Pesach offering to the place where I'll rest, you know, choose to rest my name. Uh, you shall not eat leavened bread with it for seven days. You shall eat matzah because of it. Uh, because of it, bread of affliction, for you departed from the land of Mitzrayim in haste. And I read some cool, um, some cool commentary. They were the discussion was about why, what, you know, why is it kind of drawing out this point that we left Egypt in haste? What's the significance of that? And they, the conclusion is that because we were slaves in Egypt in one moment and in the next moment mm-hmm. or to use a phrase the rabbis use in the twinkling of an eye we were now free people okay so in other words they say redemption comes in the twinkling of an eye mm-hmm. this is a, this is discussed in uh, in Pasita Rabati um, and also in Baba Batra. In 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15. They said we left we left Egypt like that and we were we were you know we were, one moment we were slaves and bondage the next one we were free and they said that's what the redemption will be like the final redemption it'll happen like that in the twinkle of an eye and they even said that repentance how long does it take for someone to repent because I'll say you can repent in the twinkling of an eye and immediately you are restored and and forgiven. And so that that idea of the twinkling of an eye, tying it back to the same rabbinic idea that Rav Shaul talks about as he applies it to the final redemption when you know, in the twinkling of an eye you know, the dead in Messiah will rise referring to the resurrection and so forth. So uh, 40 days. But it's just so cool that Chazal draw that out as they're discussing this passage and kind of focusing in on what's the significance of leaving in haste. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Peter. Uh, <laughs> it, it mentions in that same section about uh, who is supposed to be celebrating this. Uh, Can you hear him, Jay? No. It says, it says in that same that, section uh, that you, your son, your daughter, your slave, your maidservant, and the Levite, the proselyte, the orphan, and the widow. And so 
there's four of your people, and there's four of God's people. So you have your son, your daughter, and your slave, and your maidservant. And God has the Levite, the proselyte, the orphan, and the widow. That's cool. And so God is saying, if you make my people happy, I'll make your people Hmm. That's cool. I like that one. I'm glad Peter chose to speak today. Um, would you like to take us home here? I would love to. Um, I, boy, that was so great, Pete. I don't want to splash on it. Uh, but back in Deuteronomy 14, which I think ties into the feasts, which are in uh, 16, you shall tithe that, that uh, if the weight is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe, because you're going to carry the tithe when you go up for these pilgrimage feasts. Mm -hmm. When the Lord God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, we know where that is now. Verse 25, then you shall turn it into money, bind up the money in your hand, and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses, and spend the money for whatever you desire. And the description goes on from there. Uh, I, I think it's important for us to recognize that God, and, and I'm, I'm just trying to focus on joy, uh, because my opening remarks for, for Colby and Michaela's wedding next week is to tell the group that shows up, this is why we're here. We're here only to help them have more joy. And that's what God wants. God doesn't want to save us so that we can look like we've been baptized in vinegar. And so <laughs> heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But rather that our lives filled with joy, caring for one another with such tremendous and overwhelming love will cause others to look at our lives and say, wow, tell me about the God who gave you these rules. I want to know this God. That's what our faith is all about. And if we're going through life saying, well, I've been afflicted because I'm, I'm just being purged by God. Well, I mean, gee whiz. I mean, maybe it's a different God. Maybe you've got some special deal here. But, you know, I, I think that if we come across brothers and sisters, especially in this community, and they're not bubbling over in joy, we just found an opportunity to minister and find out why. So that we can make their joy full because that's why he said he came I didn't come for anything but to make your joy abundant Amen. Joseph is this where Rick gets up and dances mm -hmm. <laughs> you know he does and when he does it just makes everybody go yeah that's really joy he'll laugh, he'll laugh a lot <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me pray for us all Father, we thank you that you grant us the opportunity to come together in this country while we still have opportunity without the rockets and right now without the military to praise you openly and to worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for everyone here, Father, who calls upon your name with a sincere heart. Father, I pray that you would grant us the joy of our salvation, that we live, might live life and, and that more abundantly and that others would ask for the hope that lies within us Father I pray that you would work in a mighty way in the lives of each person here those listening 
from afar, those that can't be with us, that we might find ourselves in a relationship with the God of the universe, with that special name, looking forward and hastening the day when Messiah Yeshua will return, and we will all say, Baruch Haba Hashem Adonai. Amen. Amen. Great job, Joshua. Woo!